This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Inside every house in a small suburb of Dallas, Texas, families gathered around their televisions. Each and every one was tuned to Channel 18, though nothing was playing. The viewers sat in an eerie silence, staring at vacant, staticky screens. In the tense quiet, the ticking of the clocks was deafening. 11.58 p.m. Outside, press vans clogged the street. It seemed all the world's reporters had descended on the sleepy little neighborhood. As they performed mic checks and switched out lenses, they made sure to keep an eye on the time, 11.59 p.m. Behind the reporters, 70 policemen stood ready, shifting nervously. When their watches struck midnight, they stiffened, all watching the door of a single house, 3510. Ridgedale Drive. Inside, Han Ming Chen paced. He felt the pressure of the families next door, the press corps outside, the hovering police. He had promised all of them a miracle. He had promised his followers. As the clock ticked closer and closer, Chen swallowed. Would it happen? Would God appear on television on March 25, 1998, as Chen promised he would? Finally, 12.01 a.m., Chen took a deep breath and turned on his TV. Hi, I'm Greg Polson. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And this is Cults, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we take a look at a cult's practices, their leader, and their followers. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just stream Cults for free on Spotify. Just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. This week in a one-part episode, we're taking a deep dive into the Taiwanese UFO cult founded by former college professor Han Ming Chen. The cult went by many names, the True Way, God's Salvation Church, and the thoroughly descriptive moniker, the God Saves the Earth Flying Saucer Foundation. Han Ming Chen's followers clung to him because they believed he could save them from an imminent nuclear apocalypse. Instead, he led them on a wild goose chase that involved searching for an Abraham Lincoln lookalike in Canada, interpreting clouds, and waiting for God to make his nationally televised debut. (laughs) 
Han Ming Chen was born on April 22, 1955, in Cha'i, a small town in southwestern Taiwan. His father worked as a merchant while his mother stayed at home to care for him. Unfortunately, both of Chen's parents died when he was young. His mother was the first to pass after suffering a stroke. His father died just a few years later. Vanessa is going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Greg. According to James Wolfson, a clinical psychologist, losing a parent at a young age, quote, causes a person's sense of security and safety to be disrupted. This disruption in one's formative years might later manifest as depression, anxiety, or perhaps a desire for certainty and control. What occurred between Chen's childhood and his college years is unclear, but it is clear that his parents' death had a profound impact on him. Though he was raised as a Buddhist, at some point between his parents' death and his enrollment in university, Chen began identifying as an atheist. Perhaps the loss of both his parents in quick succession caused him to lose faith. Chen graduated with a bachelor's degree in political science and went on to get a master's in social science. The discipline may have attracted Chen because it gave order to society according to strict, controlled parameters. This type of certainty is likely what he craved after the loss of his parents. Chen excelled in his studies. In 1983, when he was 28 years old, he got a job as an associate professor at Chanan Junior College. He stayed at the school for almost a decade. Then in 1992, despite identifying as an atheist for the entirety of his adult life, 37-year-old Chen had his first religious revelation. While working one day, he claims that he suddenly heard a voice in his head imploring him to pursue a religious life. Despite the vagueness of the instruction, Chen took to it eagerly. He pored over religious texts of all kinds. He devoured the Buddhist sutras and the Tao Te Ching. He even read the Christian Bible's Old and New Testaments, after all of his arduous research, Chen decided that the best course of action was to join a UFO cult. Though Chen claimed he sought out religion because of divine intervention, he could have been driven by something else. When Chen had his revelation at the age of 37, he was not only an orphan, but he also had no wife or kids of his own. It's possible his search for religious community or a family was spurred by loneliness. A study conducted by social cognition expert Nicholas Epley bolsters this hypothesis. His research showed that lonely people are more likely to believe in God and seek out new social connections. If social connection was what Chen was looking for, he found it in the UFO cult led by Ms. Yu Chen. No relation. By the time 38-year-old Han Ming Chen joined Ms. Yu's group in 1993, she had a couple hundred followers. Ms. Yu preached a theology that combined aspects of Buddhism with ufology. Initially, Chen responded to her teachings, thriving in his new community. However, Ms. Yu's penchant for charging her disciples exorbitant fees soon agitated Chen. In 1995, 40-year-old Chen decided Ms. Yu's fees were predatory and immoral. According to a paper written by academic Charles Houston Prather, Chen then concluded that Miss Yu was a heavenly devil in human guise. 
After telling her as much, he broke with the group. But Chen wasn't ready to quit spirituality entirely. He didn't want to give up his new community, so he absconded from Miss Yu's group with around a dozen of her followers. Chen co-opted them, as well as several aspects of Miss Yu's theology, and formed his own religious movement, called the Soul Light Resurgence Association, or SLRA. To house his followers, he opened a church in Tainan City. He gained momentum fast. Like him, the followers who flocked to his church were well-paid professionals, with several academics, engineers, and doctors among their ranks. They were likely drawn to Chen because they viewed him as a similarly well-educated authority on religion, who was well-spoken and had done his research. To grow the fledgling movement, Chen urged his most faithful followers to travel to different cities in Taiwan and open satellite churches. By 1996, four SLRA churches had been established across Taiwan. That year, Chen also self-published his first book, The Practical Evidence and Study of the World of God and Buddha. The tome outlined his major beliefs, including the idea that all living beings originated in a central vortex. After coming into existence, they passed into the material realm, where they took the form of humans, animals, angels, or devils. Chen preached that humans and animals possessed three souls, the physical soul, which dwelled in the body, the conscious soul, which resided in the mind, and the main spiritual light. According to Chen, the level of spiritual light a being achieved determined what form they'd take upon being reincarnated. If a person increased their spiritual light during their time on Earth, they would be able to escape karmic reincarnation. This meant achieving enlightenment, a state of being Chen also called Buddhahood. But despite this absorption of some Buddhist theology, Chen's beliefs strayed away from traditional Buddhism in several key ways. For example, Chen preached that there were two major obstacles which prevented human beings from increasing their spiritual light. These obstacles were outside souls and devils. Outside souls were people who suffered a violent or unexpected death. Their macabre ending caused them to get lost on the way to the underworld, thus dooming them to remain outside the reincarnation cycle forever. These lost souls subsisted by draining human beings of their spiritual light. This concept of vampiric, lonely ghosts is based on Taiwanese folklore. It's possible that Chen borrowed this aspect of his belief system from bedtime stories in his childhood. This lore may have been especially impactful on him considering the sudden, unexpected deaths of his parents. The next obstacle preventing people from achieving Buddhahood are devils. According to Chen's book, devils sought to possess beings to increase the level of evil in the world. Chen called the worst of these devils King Satans. King Satans were fallen angels who were responsible for the world's great tribulations. According to Chen, these tribulations always climaxed in a nuclear holocaust. Despite the fact that there hadn't been a recorded nuclear holocaust by the time he published his book in 1996, Chen claimed that King Satans had brought about four tribulations throughout history, four nuclear holocausts. Even more alarming, 
Chen prophesied that the next tribulation was imminent. However, Chen assured his followers they need not be afraid. After all, true believers had survived each of the past four tribulations. God had rescued them in his flying saucer, a contraption that Chen also called a God plane. After being ferried off in God planes, true believers waited out the effects of nuclear radiation on another planet, like Mars. Once all the radiation had dissipated, they returned to Earth. It's unclear whether this return journey was also conducted by the God Plane. Nevertheless, Chen's followers were sold. Chen promised that if they adhered to his teachings and followed him, then when the coming nuclear holocaust occurred, they could count on a seat in God's flying saucer. Chen soon coaxed his followers into being totally dependent on him for their salvation. He warned them that he was one of the only teachers that they could trust. Despite initially reading Christian and Buddhist texts in his search for meaning, by the time Chen wrote his own book, he had only caustic things to say about both religions. He claimed that 99% of the Buddhist temples in Taiwan were led by vampiric outside spirits. Furthermore, Chen stated that the Bible was written in part by King Satan's. For that reason, his followers needed him to clarify what parts of the Bible were devil words. It's possible Chen fostered his followers' dependence on him because he truly believed he was their best chance for escape from the imminent tribulation. But it's more probable that Chen dissuaded them from seeking other teachers because he feared losing his new community. One which was growing in number every day. By 1997, 42-year-old Chen had amassed thousands of followers. Commensurate with his new esteemed status, Chen changed the name of his group from the Soul Light Resurgence Association to Chen Tao, which translates to True Way. Chen's doctrine altered slightly too. He suddenly began preaching that the only pure land of refuge lay in North America. He told his followers that in order for them to survive the coming Holocaust, they needed to relocate from Taiwan to San Dimas, California, a northeastern suburb of Los Angeles County. So in 1997, Chen and a little over a hundred followers set out for the Golden State. Next, Chen convinces his loyal followers to search for Abraham Lincoln in Vancouver, Canada. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. 42-year-old Han Ming Chen landed in San Dimas, California in early 1997. Of the thousands of followers he had amassed in his UFO cult in Taiwan, only 150 made the long journey to the United States. Ultimately, the bulk of his followers couldn't justify the move, nuclear holocaust or not. Despite their diminished number, Chen was not discouraged. 
he was certain in America, God would descend in his God plane to rescue him and his faithful followers from the coming apocalypse. When his followers expressed concern or uncertainty about the imminent arrival of God, Chen started to claim that he talked to God on a daily basis. Apparently, they communicated through a diamond-studded ring on his finger. As further proof, he explained that he wore the ring backwards, specifically to improve the reception of God phone calls. After purchasing several homes in the small suburb of San Dimas, the members of Chen Tao set about awaiting God's arrival. According to an article published in British magazine Fortean Times, this waiting entailed the performance of religious rituals, which largely consisted of the interpretation of the signs from God that they saw in clouds and airplane contrails in the sky. Then, one day in early 1997, Chen told his followers that he'd received another revelation. This revelation did not come via backwards diamond ring. Instead, Chen claimed he had a vision in which God told him that the reincarnation of Jesus Christ lived in Vancouver, Canada. Chen implored his followers to find the Vancouver Christ immediately. According to a paper written by academic Charles Houston Prather, when Chen's followers asked him how to identify the reincarnated Christ, he calmly told them to search for a six-foot-tall, 28-year-old man resembling Abraham Lincoln. Chen said they needed to find this Jesus-slash-Abraham Lincoln hybrid because the Chen Tao cult already had the reincarnated Buddha within their midst, and the two needed to speak. Chen went on to explain that Qi Yen, the 10-year-old son of one of his followers, was the Buddha reincarnated. This was news to Qi Yen's parents, but they took it all in stride. They hardly blinked when Chen informed them they had to arrange a meeting between their son, the reincarnated Buddha, and the reincarnated Jesus, a man who would be a dead ringer for Abraham Lincoln. Instructions in hand, Chen's followers placed a personal ad in the province and the Vancouver Sun newspapers. It's unclear the exact content of these ads, but they apparently didn't elicit any responses from the Canadian public. Chen didn't let this deter him. He merely proclaimed another of his followers' children, a nine-year-old named Che Yu Chung, as the reincarnated Christ instead. It's unclear whether the Taiwanese youth resembled Abraham Lincoln. It's difficult to guess why Chen sent his followers on such a wild goose chase. Perhaps he felt he owed them something after imploring them to sacrifice their lives in Taiwan to follow him. After all, in the pages of the Bible that Chen had pored over, Jesus rewarded his disciples for their allegiance by raising a man from the dead and transforming water into wine. In that vein, perhaps Chen felt he owed his makeshift family a miracle. Chen's public search for Vancouver Christ ultimately didn't succeed, but it did have one unintended outcome. It put Chen and his followers on the radar of both the North American press and the Taiwanese media. The increased scrutiny was largely negative. Chen Tao was classified by the media as a UFO cult, and unfortunately for Chen, the members of another UFO cult had just committed mass suicide, horrifying the American and Taiwanese public alike.
In March 1997, mere weeks after Chen's arrival in San Dimas, California, the Heaven's Gate Massacre shook the world. The media was awash with articles, probing every angle of a strange tale that included Nikes, UFOs, and death. Heaven's Gate, like Chen Tao, was based in California. The group's theology was similar to Chen Tao's in that they also combined aspects of Christianity with ufology. Marshall Applewhite, the group's leader, claimed to be Jesus Christ reincarnated. By 1997, Chen was making similar assertions. He suddenly began declaring he was Jesus Christ's father, Joseph, in the flesh. Heaven's Gate shared one other similarity with Chen Tao. The members believed that they would leave behind the world's miseries in a spaceship. It was in pursuit of this extra-dimensional transcendence that 39 members of the cult shaved their heads, put on Nike sneakers, imbibed phenobarbital-laced applesauce, and laid under purple shrouds waiting for their ship to come. This grisly scene formed the backdrop against which Chen's activities were judged. One Taiwanese outlet alleged that Chen was extorting fees from his followers and brainwashing them. Another claimed that the entire group was planning to commit suicide. Though there was no real basis for the claims of extortion and brainwashing, both American and Taiwanese people alike swallowed them, growing more and more alarmed by the tales of Chen Tao's supposed activities. Further complicating matters, in late 1997, Chen began telling his followers that they needed to relocate again, this time to Texas. It was there, not California, that God would show up. He urged them to follow him to Garland, Texas, a town he picked because, according to Chen, Garland sounded like Godland. The combination of alarmist press reports and Chen making moves to relocate his following frightened the mother of one of his 16-year-old followers. According to a paper on Chen Tao written by academic Charles Houston Prather, Nan Hua Chung, a 16-year-old member of Chen Tao, lived in San Dimas with her father, Chai Chen Chung. Nan Hua's mother didn't approve of Chen or his message, so she remained home in Taiwan in early 1997, sacrificing a relationship with her husband and daughter as a result. However, after her husband, Chai Chian Chung, died on December 10, 1997, in a San Dimas hospital, Nan Hua's mother began longing for a reunion with her daughter. This was in spite of the fact that her husband's dying wish was for Nan Hua to remain with the group. Her dead husband's wishes weren't enough to assuage her motherly intuition, especially because her intuition was largely informed by Taiwanese press reports claiming that Chen Tao was on the brink of committing mass suicide. So when Nan Hua's mother heard that the group was planning to relocate from California to Texas, she packed her bags and took the first flight out. She landed in Los Angeles, California on December 22, 1997. She contacted the police the very same day and told them that Nan Hua was being held by the members of Chen Tao against her will. Then she informed them of her fears that her daughter was about to die in an orchestrated mass suicide. Fearing another Heaven's Gate, the LAPD took her concerns very seriously. That evening, they visited Chen Tao's San Dimas-based church. 
According to Prather, upon arrival at the church, the deputies took custody of Nanhua and transported her to the San Dimas Sheriff Station. Once reunited with her mother, the two immediately flew home to Taiwan. The Taiwanese press reported the story as a thrilling rescue, the good guys riding in to save a young girl from the clutches of a suicidal cult leader. However, this cinematic take couldn't be further from the truth. According to Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy Joe LaMonaco, while Nan Hua's mother led them to believe her daughter was being held hostage, when they arrived at the church, they discovered the opposite. Nan Hua implored them to allow her to remain with Chen Tao. She was excited about the impending tribulation and thrilled at the prospect of gaining a seat on the God Plane. Furthermore, far from being dastardly kidnappers determined to hold on to their hostage at all costs, when L.A. County deputies requested Nan Hua's return, Chen amicably turned her over. LaMonaco later said, it wasn't a kidnapping, there was no crime. But this reality did nothing to stop the press's repeated proclamations that Chen Tao was a doomsday suicide cult. In the wake of the negative coverage, Chen hastened his group's relocation to Garland, Texas. On the morning of Tuesday, December 23, 1997, the members of Chen Tao left California by bus and car. By day's end, members had purchased 21 homes in Garland. According to public records, the group never consolidated money, each member using their accumulated savings to pay only for themselves and their extended family. That same night, Chen called his first press conference. Through his translator, Richard Liu, Chen assured the press that his group was not a suicide cult. In fact, suicide was forbidden for members. Richard Liu also addressed the ridiculous allegations of kidnapping. He said nobody in the group was restricted from going or coming. After giving the gathered reporters a brief overview of the group's beliefs, Chen called the press conference to a close. Then, alongside his followers, Chen set about settling down in his new home. But Chen and his followers quickly elicited strange reactions from their bewildered Texan neighbors. Though this was in part due to the sensational press coverage, Chen's manner of dressing did nothing to assuage their trepidation. According to Charles Houston Prather, Chen and the rest of his Taiwanese followers walked around their Texan neighborhood in white cowboy hats, white sweatsuits, and white sneakers. Chen stated that they wore white because God would be clothed in white when he appeared. As for the cowboy hats, Chen claimed they helped the group fit in. In their coordinated outfits, Chen and his followers rode bikes around their cul-de-sac, dropping off flyers at each door they passed. According to an article published in 14 Times, the flyers explained that the bike rides were instructed by God to prepare for the descending of his kingdom in America. Given the polite tone of the flyers, the neighbors who received them weren't bothered. However, not all of Chen's neighbors were accommodating. As described by Charles Houston Prather, in late December of 1997, a neighbor complained to Garland Code Enforcement that one of the Garland homes owned by the group was legally overcrowded. This was because, after buying several homes all at once, some Chen Tao members had to bunk with others while waiting for new houses to go on the market. 
In response to the complaint, Chen ordered a reshuffling of members between houses so that no one domicile could be classified as legally overcrowded. However, as soon as Chen responded to this request, another complaint was lodged, this time by Chen's next-door neighbor. Charles Amix had no tolerance for the Taiwanese cult leader next door. So when he spied Chen and his followers carting cement towards Chen's backyard, Charles went to investigate. Later, City of Garland official Dale Smith received an anonymous tip that Chen was building a spaceship landing pad in his backyard. Law enforcement looked into the allegations. However, on questioning Chen, they learned that he wasn't building a landing site. He was building a gazebo. But that wasn't all Chen was up to. In early 1998, 43-year-old Chen self-published his second book, titled Gods Descending in Clouds, Flying Saucers, On Earth to Save People. In this book, he not only prophesied the manner of God's arrival, this time he also included a date. Up next, Han Ming Chen prepares for God's arrival on Earth. Now back to the story. In early 1998, soon after moving to Garland, Texas, 43-year-old Han Ming Chen self-published his second religious text. In it, he prophesied God's arrival on Earth. Chen guaranteed on his life that the events would transpire exactly as he described. Chen wrote that God would appear on the television airwaves of Channel 18 across North America at 12.01 a.m. on March 25, 1998. It didn't seem to matter to Chen that what program was broadcasted on Channel 18 varied from state to state. Popular 90s TV show Friends might have had to adhere to the whims of network programmers, but God did not. God would show up as he liked on Channel 18's Across America. Chen prophesied that God would announce his earthly arrival on the TV broadcast. He planned to appear in corporeal form on March 31st. Why God needed to warn the world via television broadcast of his coming arrival remained unclear. Nevertheless, Chen explained that on March 31, 1998, at 10 a.m., God would appear in human form in Garland, Texas. Chen claimed that God would look identical to himself. According to Chen, upon appearing, this God-Chen hybrid would walk through walls, replicate himself multiple times so he could greet everyone simultaneously, and would be capable of speaking every language in the world. It's possible Chen didn't truly believe in what he was saying. While it's unclear why Chen made these predictions, he might have again felt that he owed his followers miracles in exchange for their continued companionship. Maybe Chen felt that without the promise of miracles, his followers would leave him as his parents had. Chen disseminated his new book widely across Garland. In the aftermath of Heaven's Gate, any news involving UFO cults was a hot property. Thus, Chen's prophecies of God descending on a small Texas suburb set off a media circus. Ryan Cook covered the frenzy in an article for the Center for Studies on New Religions. He wrote that in the days leading up to March 25th, 
A visible coterie of outsiders descended on Garland. These people weren't restricted to journalists from New York and Hong Kong. Among the arrivals were anti-cultists, academics, and one stray Satanist. In response to the interest, Chen welcomed reporters into his backyard. He showed them the various religious implements and shrines his followers had built over the past couple months. He even allowed reporters to take pictures of his gazebo. Chen claimed these photos had religious power, and anyone who placed one close to their heart would feel the effects of the Holy Spirit. Early on Tuesday, March 24th, the members of Chen Tao all waded into the creek behind Chen's house and performed a baptism-like ritual. Then, guided by Chen, the male members of the group shaved their heads. This coordinated group activity was too reminiscent of Heaven's Gate for comfort. The Garland police went door to door asking cult members what they planned to do if God failed to show on TV. Did they plan on committing suicide? Despite the cult members' denials, the Garland police wanted to reassure the township and called a press conference. During the conference, the police stated their commitment to preventing a coordinated suicide effort. They promised that when the prophecy inevitably failed, they would knock on Chen's door. If he refused to answer, they would force entry to ensure no cult members were being harmed. Charles Houston Prather estimated that on the afternoon of March 24th, the police mobilized between 50 and 70 officers and emergency personnel to make sure events would proceed safely. They even enlisted the help of the neighboring Dallas Police Department to bulk up their numbers. Reporters soon swarmed the area too and set up camp right outside Chen's home. This gave them a front row seat at 11 p.m. when all the cult members filed out of Chen's house. Then, on prompting from Chen, they chanted prayers in Mandarin and bowed towards his gazebo. Ritual concluded, they returned inside. Finally, after days of buildup, the prophesied hour was nigh. Everyone in Garland, outsiders, natives, and cult members alike, gathered around their television sets, turned the dial to Channel 18, and watched with bated breath as the clock ticked closer and closer to 12.01 a.m. But when the time finally came, Channel 18 showed nothing but RF static. It seemed God had no intention of appearing on TV. Members of the press, curious neighbors, and the Garland police all had the same question on their minds. What would Chen do now? His prophecy had failed spectacularly. 25 minutes after midnight, they got their answer. Just as the police were preparing to storm Chen's house, he emerged, unruffled and serene. Charles Houston Prather set the scene in his paper, God's Salvation Church, Past, Present, and Future. According to him, Chan spoke through his translator, Richard Liu, saying, even though God's image was not captured on television, I want everyone to believe that God is alive. Then Chen told the press, police, and neighbors that they were free to consider his prior statements about God appearing on Channel 18 complete nonsense. Right after dismissing the validity of his March 25th prophecy, 
Chen held up pictures of airplane contrails and said, In these months, there have been so many flying crafts in the sky flying over our head. We don't have any reason to suspect they might be aircrafts from the United States Air Force. I must stay here to research what we have witnessed in the pictures. The reporters were confused by this change in direction. What about his second prophecy? Did he still believe God would appear in a form identical to his own and perform miracles on March 31st? Chen responded, It has become insignificant to discuss whether God will show up on March 31st since the prophecy concerning today's program was not realized. The reporters refused to accept his evasive answer. They kept pressing until Chen finally said, Because we did not see God's message on Channel 18 tonight, my predictions of God arriving on March 31st can be considered nonsense. The reporters then asked Chen if he considered himself a false prophet. Chen's response was unprecedented. He said, I've never referred to myself as a prophet. In fact, I would recommend that nobody believe what I said anymore. The members of Chen Tao stood around their spiritual leader as he spoke. They had sacrificed their jobs, families, and their home country, all because of Chen's prophecies. Now, he blithely recommended that nobody ever take him seriously again. Despite this, the cult members said nothing in the moment. Their faces remained expressionless. As though remembering the presence of his followers for the first time, Chen conceded that they had made significant financial sacrifices to follow him. To that end, he said, I personally take responsibility to support them for the period they were unemployed. Despite this promise, Chen provided no elaboration about what form his supposed restitution would take. Instead, he absolved himself further, saying, My followers have always enjoyed their individual freedom. Tomorrow, they have the freedom to go wherever they want. With that parting statement, Chen called the press conference to a close. In contrast to the days leading up to the first prophecy, the days leading up to the March 31st prophecy were fairly quiet. Though Chen told everyone to consider his words nonsense, there was still a sense of anticipation in the air as the date approached, especially among Chen's followers. Some members of Chen Tao still believed that Jesus Christ would appear in a form identical to Chen's. They believed this Chen-Christ hybrid would then duplicate himself multiple times, walk through walls, and speak all of the world's languages at will. On March 27th, Chen set out a press release titled, You Yourself Are God. In it, he wrote, In truth, human soul and conscience are homogenous to the structure of God's character. Therefore, seek the perfection of conscience in your soul. God will help you become God. On the morning of March 31st, the police again cordoned off Chen's Garland neighborhood. For the second time, the press, city-approved credentials at the ready, took their battle stations in front of Chen's house. This time, even Chen's neighbors joined the fray, gathering around his home. Two neighbors even went as far as to don alien costumes. Together, they all waited for the prophesied hour of 10 a.m.
A few minutes before the clock struck 10, Chen walked out of his house. Through his translator, Richard Liu, he asked all the gathered to shake their own hand. Confused, members of the press, the police, and Chen's neighbors all complied, each of them using one hand to shake their other. Chen then smiled beatifically and told them that since they themselves were God, then obviously God had duplicated himself multiple times. They had just witnessed it. Each of them had shaken their own hands. If they needed more proof, Chen implored them to consider the fact that each of them could speak and understand their own respective languages. Thus, God was multilingual. God was on earth, shaking hands and speaking languages. So his prophecy was fulfilled. Still, the press remained unconvinced. So Chen decided to perform a demonstration that would prove his godly nature once and for all. He decided to stare directly at the sun. For a painfully awkward couple of minutes, Chen stared at the sky, blinking rapidly, his eyes watering. Then he triumphantly declared that no mere mortal could have stared at the sun like that without ill effect. Despite the embarrassing display, when the reporters asked his followers if they would continue to dedicate their lives to Chen, all of them raised their hands and shouted affirmatively in unison. Despite his failed prophecies, they still trusted and believed in Chen. Their unwavering faith is not out of the ordinary in cults with doomsday predictions. In his book, When Prophecy Fails, social psychologist Leon Festinger called this phenomenon dissonance reduction. He explained that cult members will often deal with the dissonance of a failed prediction by doubling down and rededicating themselves to the cause. Chen's followers no doubt had similar feelings. They had sacrificed their jobs, their relationships, and the only lives they had ever known, all to follow Chen. They likely felt it was too late to turn back now. Shortly after the March 31st press conference, Chen had another vision. This time, God told him to go to Olcott, New York. According to Charles Houston Prather's paper, Chen claimed that Olcott was actually the place where God would transfer people from the third dimension to the fourth. The fact that going to Olcott would also allow him to leave behind the humiliation of his failed prophecies was surely just a convenient bonus. The move from Garland to Olcott cut Chen's following by two-thirds. The decline was due in part to growing disillusionment among his members, but the bulk of the losses were caused by visa problems. All of the members of Chen Tao were Taiwanese. Consequently, they were unable to remain in the United States on tourist visas indefinitely. So, on May 13, 1998, when 43-year-old Chen made the move from Garland to Olcott, he was accompanied by only 35 members. Over the next year, he made two more prophecies, both of which failed. Not much was heard from the group after 1999. The bulk of the media frenzy surrounding Chen Tao died after the failed March 31st prophecy. However, we do know that Chen had a falling out with the high-ranking members of the group in 2002. It's unclear whether he's currently dead or alive, as Chen has never been heard from since. Despite his anticlimactic end, 
Han Ming Chen was an atypical cult leader. There's no evidence he financially or sexually exploited his followers. Instead, he convinced them to search for an Abraham Lincoln lookalike and asked them to spend hours staring at the clouds. Perhaps more than anything, Chen was driven by desire to find a family. To keep it, he was willing to do anything, even promise miracles and create false hope that a wondrous world was waiting somewhere deep within the clouds. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Hong Ming Chen, amongst the many sources we used, we found Charles Houston Prather's paper, God's Salvation Church, Past, Present, and Future, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Cults and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Cults, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Cults on Spotify, just open the app and type Cults in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Cults was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Juan Borda. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Cults was written by Abiageli Ademegu. With writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.